Uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Someone will be glad to bring a Bible to you. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 22 uh, to get started today. We've uh, just recently had um, a series uh, with guests uh, as my wife and I were on vacation uh, talking about some of the core values for us as a church, <clears throat> some of the things that we value the most. Hold on just a sec. <laughs> Decided it was on vacation. Um, and prior to that, we did a series where we walked through four chapters of the book of Acts. Um, today, I'd like to start off in, uh, Leo's just very excited, we're celebrating his birthday today, he's turning one, yay, Leo! Um, but this is uh, an important, a bell ringer verse uh, passage, and one that I think that we should uh, turn to often. Are you with me, Matthew 22? Some of us? Okay, good. Um, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And in the original text, original language, law and the prophets, the phrase that's used here is, what's the most important thing in all of what we have as the Old Testament? What's the most most important commandment? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So love God with all you've got and love others in the same way that you take care of yourself. Um, we uh, On our family vacation uh, down in Florida, we met Shaquille O'Neal. My son got to shake... Shaq's hand, or see his hand disappear into Shaq's hand. Um, when I saw Shaq give a little fist bump, so I, uh, thankfully I came away unbroken. And um, um, thanked him for the podcast, which is that he does, which is mostly middle school humor. I don't recommend for everybody. Uh, but there's one segment on his podcast that he does where, he, where that's called uh, "Does Shaq Want to Talk About This." Where sometimes they bring up like a former teammate of his that's had a DUI or um, police uh, violence against African American community or things like that, and they said, you know, does Shaq really want to talk about this? And um, there are uh, a lot of things in the course of the year that we just we don't talk about in this public Sunday forum. But on my vacation, as I saw white supremacists take public action in our nation. That's not okay with me. And so I want to talk about racism. I mean, it's real. It's there. Um, if you're a part of the majority culture in the United States, you don't have to think about it a whole lot. If you're not, you do. Uh, so let's just kind of take it, everybody take a breath. So uh, this weekend, as my wife and I were celebrating our uh, anniversary... I uh, played a song that we listened to a long time ago uh, with the title, Better Together. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, how Rebecca and I are better together. Or at least, I'm better that she's with me. I'm not sure if it's totally... <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you, 
the, the picture on the screen is of the Hope Diamond, uh, which some people uh, believe is cursed, um, and which actually glows red under UV light. It's the down in D.C. at the uh, Museum of uh, Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, and uh, is the largest largest diamond in the world of its kind. Um, one of the things about diamonds is that <clears throat> it's not just the the stone itself that has the full luster. In fact, the way that it is cut, the many cuts bring out the luster, the shine, the brilliance, um, and how clear it is. I'm not going to geek out on all of the that I learned about diamonds when I was getting ready to propose to Rebecca 21 years ago, but um, there... Those two aspects, are there blemishes in, in the diamond and the many cuts? I want to say something. God has created humans of many varieties. Look around this room, right? We are better together because in no one person except Jesus Christ is God's glory fully revealed. Instead, when we come together in our variations of age, economic status, education, likes, dislikes, the way we've been designed by God, um, gender, ethnicity, when we come together, we can more fully represent the glory of God. We're going to come back to that example, and I'm a little bit sleep deprived, so I'm going to try to stay close to the notes today. Um, so obviously racism is one of the things we don't really talk about. I'm going to just talk a little bit about vocabulary for a quick minute. Everybody okay? Now, I, I'm not going to tell anybody in here that you're wrong with vocabulary words that you use about this, okay? But I just want to tell you the words that I use and what they mean to me. Uh, you may have, I don't know if you've noticed on, on the internet. Uh, New York Times has this little quiz where you can, um, it's about dialect, and you can select which words you would use to describe certain things, and at the end of the test, they tell you what region of the United States you're from. So there's a difference between accent and dialect, okay? Dialect is word choice, like I said, kitty corner earlier to mean across the street in a diagonal way. Uh, that is one of the things that is a regional dialect definer, Okay? Accent is different. It's how you talk. Uh, the sounds that you make over the, the, the letters in the words that you're using. I talk like everybody on TV because I'm from the West Coast. <laughs> so I don't have an accent. <laughs> um, so there's a difference between accent and dialect. And in humanity, in the human race, um, I want to talk about these words that you see on the screen for just a second. Whether you realize it or not, if we take an academic approach to the issue in the United States, the word race is actually a social construct. It's something that has been made up to describe people who are unique, primarily used to discriminate against them. Often people start with describing physical differences, but end in describing social characteristics. Ethnicity, which is a word that I prefer is pertaining to a characteristic of a group of people sharing a common and distinctive culture, religion, language, and or displaying characteristics 
as in physical appearance, language, or accent that can cause one to be identified by others as a member of a minority ethnic group. So primarily, so here's an example. Muslim refers to religion, while Arab is an ethnicity. And in fact, more than 60% of Arab Americans are Christians. So this is a whole other thing about racism we could talk about there, right? I had a traveling job for a number of years where we flew all the time. I was on planes all the time. And I had a coworker who was half white, half Puerto Rican, but looked Arab. And this was in the 9-11 time frame. We got stopped all the time. All the time. When, you know, profiling was more widely accepted. More than 60% of Arab Americans are Christian. So culture... Culture is defined appreciation for what is excellent in the arts, uh, education, social interactions. Culture may also include variations of education, social status, and economic status. So, for example, somebody might look at me and say, by your skin tone, you look white because I'm a Euro-mutt, mostly Norwegian with some Cherokee. You're mostly white, so you probably grew up with some money in your pocket. They wouldn't know that I, and because of the way I speak. They wouldn't know that when I was a kid, when I was Gideon's age, we were on government assistance. They wouldn't know that my dad always had holes in his shirts and holes in his shoes. They wouldn't, they wouldn't naturally deduce those things, right? Because economists say that when the America goes through, when the American economy has a cold, black America has the flu. So the natural deduction that is, is that if I'm white and I'm articulate, then I must have parents that had college education, we must have had a decent financial structure at home. Hang in there. You're going to be okay. So I have humanity. We have race, which is a social construct. Ethnicity, which is a more true definition. Culture, which is the stuff that we swim in, the music, the movies, the, the things that we appreciate and like. And then we have racism. So let's talk about racism. I don't know if you can read what's on the screen. I'll be glad to read it to you. Racism first. A belief that inherent differences among the various human racial groups determine Achievement, usually involving the idea that one's own race is superior and has the right to dominate others or that particular racial group is inferior to the others. Second, a policy, a system of government based on, upon, or fostering such a belief as discrimination. Third, hatred or intolerance of another race or other races. The truth of the matter is, whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, that the United States is a racialized society. You may not have bumped into it as much as others, but it is a racialized society. I have slowly, methodically, over the last number of years, endeavored to study this issue, would be more than happy to recommend books and other things to people that are not partisan in nature. How many of you know that's rare? Come on, people, breathe. You're okay, right? We live in a racialized society. You cannot, uh, the definition for the, the National Football Hall of Fame, you can't, is, can you tell the story of football without that person being in the story, 
right? You can't tell the story of the history of the United States without talking about racism as a social construct that certain people invented so that they could put down others. In fact, I've read the historical study of this neighborhood, about a 16-block area from the 1840s to the 1980s. You can't tell the story of how this building got built, how the house that I live in got built, without talking about racism. Because the mill owner who owned the mill down here on Jones Falls, it was a flour mill for a short period of time and then was converted into a textile mill to make the cotton duct for ship sales because Baltimore made 80% of the cotton duct for ship sales for the entire United States. The mill owner had people working seven days a week at first and then came up with a contract for six days a week, 10 hours a day. And then that contract included, I will provide housing for you with a certain amount of rent. Oh, and I'll build a church and I'll put two churches in it. They're my guys that aren't actually believers in Jesus. And I'm going to control your life, but I'm going to kind of be supporting you because you came from failing farms from Pennsylvania. And I'm going to include in your contract at the beginning, I will hire you Western European, but I won't hire you Eastern Europeans. And then it was... Western Europeans left this neighborhood, and so I will hire Eastern Europeans, but by contract, in your employment contract, I'm agreeing that I will not hire Jews or Africans. And then it became, as the Eastern Europeans left, okay, I'll hire... You can't tell the story of this neighborhood and how even this building was built without talking about racism. So as much as there may be some of us here today that we don't live in a racial... Racism is pretty much... Uh, you can't tell the story of where we are standing without talking about the fact that the United States is a racialized society. I'm not saying it's your fault. So white people, relax. See, white people are really good at individual responsibility in this respect. I didn't do it. I understand those emotions, right? But I'm like like mixed up because for me, I've got Cherokee in my blood too. So my people did to, oh man, trail of tears, that's, oh. So I had a grandfather who pastored a Native American reservations, as well as the Europeans that were complicit to, at least, the oppression of Native Americans. We live in a racialized society. People that are not a part of the dominant group have an easier time, they have to think about race or the social construct of race all the time, so they tend to be a little bit more educated up on it, and they tend also to find it easier to take responsibility as a group. I don't hear in Baltimore, and some of you know I volunteer as a police chaplain and do a variety of of different ways of outreach. I don't find a whole lot of Baltimore native African Americans asking white people to fix black-on-black crime. Because most Baltimore native African Americans have a, a sentiment that is, this is our problem, we must fix it. Now, I say that to say, and I've spent, some of you are aware of this, I've spent a lot of hours in rooms being the only white face in Baltimore, a lot of energy learning, and I have a lot more to learn. Okay? I don't have it all figured out. But I'm just trying to point out that white people tend to, I've got to focus on, hey, it wasn't me, and I will take responsibility for the things that are me, and I've got black friends, so I'm good. Oops, I did it again. Oh, I just, I went there, didn't I? Right? I'm sorry. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Please come back. Um, so we're here at church. Let's get some God thoughts. All right? You've had enough of me. Let's get some God thoughts. God says this, Genesis 1. 
let us make human beings in our image. This is God, this is like, God's not weird like me, myself, and I. There's the Trinity, right? There's Father God, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. Let us make human beings in our image after our likeness to be like us. It's a classic Christian doctrine of Imago Dei. We are created in the image of God. Um, when we talk about prejudice, we're really talking about prejudging. Prejudice is prejudging. Determining the value of someone before having complete knowledge of them. Let me give you a, a couple of funny stories. Lighten the mood here. I took Taekwondo for a while. And I was really happy when I learned a turning back kick that I could have some power in. And one of the things I liked about Taekwondo is that you sparred full contact every session. You pad up, you know, the whole, if you've seen the Olympic sport. I was actually at the Olympic trials, keeping time for the Olympic trials the first year when uh, Taekwondo was an uh, exhibition sport. Yeah, I'm that old. Um, and um, I'll never forget, uh, I was sparring against an older heavy set guy I'd never been around before and uh you kind of you know checking each other out in the sparring and then I I do my turning back kick and I connect and I'm really happy and then he pushes me back with a jab and I'm, whoa uh, and so we come back in and he does this spinning front kick like he's heavy okay his leg sweeps you can hear it sweep his belly Ha-da! <laughs> you know <laughs> what just happened I had prejudged him that he was not able to do that. <laughs> I didn't think a guy shaped like that could move like that. It's not good to prejudge people. Right? Right? So God says, let us make human beings in our own image. To presuppose that one's own race or ethnicity is superior to someone else is a denial of the fact that all people are created in the image of God. C.S. Lewis wrote this. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. We have never met mere mortals. Every person we have ever looked upon, smiled at, frowned at, greeted, encouraged, insulted, slandered, touched, is a person bearing the marks of divine likeness and the Imago Dei. People are the eternal investment in your life. People are what is forever. Check out these passages. So Jesus, uh, no, before I get to Matthew, to, to, to Jesus, the wisdom of Proverbs says this, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 5. The one who mocks the poor, the one who makes fun of the poor, insults his maker. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. The one who oppresses the poor insults his maker. 
So people that take a superior attitude towards others due to their socioeconomic position are in fact insulting God. That's what it says. Now, to be sure, the Messiah was promised uh, through Abraham, right? And even in the Abrahamic covenant, we have this idea of Abraham and his descendants being blessed so that they can be a blessing to all nations. That's why Jesus said, go, urge people to become followers, people of all nations. In fact, Jesus does not use the regional word at the end of that sentence. He uses the ethnicity word. Go make disciples of people of all ethnos, the Greek ethnicity word. That's that's literally Jesus' command. You could see the, the words of the Abrahamic covenant as God clearly states that the benefit of the Messiah is to be for people from all nations in Genesis 12, 3, Genesis 22, 18. In the genealogy of Jesus, there are several inter-ethnic marriages. We have Tamar, we have Ruth, we have Bathsheba. So God makes decisions, but he... We are all created of equal value. Listen to Psalm 87. Psalm 87 is important, uh, especially for those with a kind of a deep understanding of history because Psalms 88 is what most believe Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. And Psalm 87 right before it may be what he was also reflecting on. I will count Egypt and Babylon among those who know me. Also, Philistia, Tyre, and even distant Ethiopia. They have all become citizens of Jerusalem. You can't read Psalm 87 without some sort of messianic ultimate culmination in heaven without hearing God saying, red and yellow, black and white. Right? That's Psalm 87. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, Jesus gives us the parable of the Samaritan, and that is all about racial tension. We've unpacked that in the past. We don't have time to do so today. It obliterates ethnic superiority, even from the Jews, who in most of human history have been greatly oppressed themselves. Now think about the simplicity of John 3.16. Think about the simplicity of that. Jesus says, God so loved the world. Jesus himself making very clear that the ultimate purpose of God is for all people. This, especially if you today are a Jesus follower and you want to truly follow him, this is a safe place for you to do that. And for us to come together as the church, the way it it describes in scripture has a lot more to do with this next passage than attending an event. For you all... You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And Paul Paul, through the Holy Spirit, echoes this not only here in Galatians chapter 3, but also Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, that we've gone over many times as a church, which includes this directive to them, you who were formerly hostile to each other have been brought together. 
So I want to say this because I believe that this is relevant to sexism, chauvinism, ageism, genderism, how you relate to any human, whether it be about sexual identification, preference in music, who they voted for. Stigma is not okay. We, we can't call ourselves a faithful follower of Jesus and actually read his words and actually learn about who he is and come away and feel like somebody who has a mental health issue is less than us. Or somebody who identifies with a lifestyle you don't understand is less than us. We cannot come away with stigma. Their behavior is irrelevant to how you perceive their value. Are you with me? And this is most certainly true when we talk about race. Now, in Jewish culture, in more in the Talmud than the Torah, and then we also see this in the book of Revelations, God gives this tension between the oppressed being defended and the oppressed calling and asking for help. It is required of a Jesus follower to speak out for those who do not have a voice. And if someone is behaving in a way that you don't think is right, we should be compelled to first ask ourselves what could be causing that and not prejudge the situation. See, I was... With, I think it was Councilman Stokes who's being interviewed on the news during the unrest with Freddie Gray. And he's like, thugs? Why don't you just call them and use the N-word on national TV? And he got major pushback. But he was calling out what the attitude was. Because of behavior of people that were doing things that were violent, and because of a lack of understanding about that, what was not coming was a question of what would cause someone to behave this way. Instead, what was coming is, that's wrong, there's no excuse for that, and writing them off. I'm here to tell you that's not a Jesus-honoring attitude. It's not. Even in the case of bad behavior, which, to be clear, is separate from race. (laughs) Right? All connected issues in our national dialogue. So many of these issues that are being discussed today, what I hear being lifted up is tolerance. And tolerance is a cheap imitation to the love of Jesus. Tolerance looks ugly compared to the love of Jesus. Tolerance is I give you scraps from the table. The love of Jesus is I make a seat at the table for you. I give you the best meal at the table. That's complete unity. And that's what this passage God is calling for us is complete unity. That's a love that you're not capable of on your own. That's the kind of love that you need to ask God for help to be able to love in that way. So if you're feeling overwhelmed right now, thank God for that because it can make you dependent upon Him and He's the only one that has resource that doesn't run out. You need His love 
to love like this. It's a benefit to you to feel overwhelmed by this issue because you can respond to that by coming to God, being dependent upon God, and asking God that He would pour His love out not only on you, but through you in a way that will change your life and the life of others. And when you walk into the room, people expect something different. Peace. Joy. Come on, somebody. That is good. Today we went from Genesis to Revelation. Book of Revelation in chapter 5, verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9, chapter 10, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 9, chapter 13, verse 7, chapter 14, verse 6, chapter 17, verse 15. In the ultimate picture of the climax of all of human history, in the best of the best, Jesus, the champion, has returned, has been lifted high. There has been the glory of God that has come. The picture that we see is people from every tribe and language and people group and nation together worshiping God. All kinds all types. Uh, forgive me, I did actually teach this book of Revelation in Bible college in this symbolic world within the revelation of Jesus, which is the title of the book. The number four represents the world while the number seven represents completion. Thus, the sevenfold use of this four-element phrase is emphatic indication that all peoples and all ethnicities are included in the final gathering of God's redeemed people around his throne to sing his praises. All people are created in the image of God and therefore all races and ethnic groups have the same equal status and equal unique value. I want to be clear about one thing real quick before we close with some practical thoughts and prayer. We are not the fan of a multi-ethnic church where everything looks the same, sounds the same, and where you look and talk and act like everybody else. No. No. You know, I'm kind of still 35 pounds down from where I was once upon a time, and I've learned to value salad. (laughs) That was a little difficult for me to say. I feel a little bit of internal tension in saying that. I don't value it as much as meat, coffee, or dessert, but I do value salad. And I really value salad where there's a lot of unique ingredients, especially when those ingredients are working together, right? And what some people think the church should look like in America today is a salad where there's so much dressing on it, it all tastes the same. That ruins it. Follow me now, this is really good. (laughs) In the kingdom of God, when we come together, our the way that God has designed us in ways that are unique brings the full luster to the diamond, brings out the glory of who God is. If God wanted us all to be the same in heaven, we would all be the same now. We are not all the same now. God created us by design. He leads us because He loves us. And you cannot escape from in the Scripture that His design is for us to come together as the glorious bride of Christ, the glorious church in which we are different from each other. We should taste different. Working together in unity and in harmony. I want you to take time. You can close your eyes if you like or whatever, but just focus for a second. We must guard in our hearts 
against pride, against an air of superiority. The only way that really happens is when we search our hearts, when we ask God to search our hearts, and when we live in open relationship with people that are different from us that can speak into our life and saying, you know, you kind of, when we were around that person, you were kind of acting like you were better than them. It's kind of like the cafeteria test. We're praying over all the students that are going into school on Tuesday and the teachers. Now, walk into the cafeteria, do I look at groups of people that look different than me? Who, who looks like me? Oh, they don't look like me, therefore we have nothing in common and it's not safe. I wouldn't have a good time with them. We must break the habit of automatically stereotyping. Who in this church, who among us is disciplined and focused on building relationships with people, diverse relationships? Because you can't have more diversity in your church than you have in your life. Who's good at that? Well, Ron and Lisa are good at that. Joe and Anna are good at that because everybody here is a different ethnicity than they are. Justin and Becky are good at that. Brian is good at that. Holly is good at that. Allison is good at that. See, in safe relationships inside the church where we can build unity and ask questions to help us unlearn prejudice. We were um, out in the neighborhood once and a little Baltimore native African-American boy was got to talking to, to my wife and got real comfortable with her. She's so disarming with her smile. And um, he asked her, um, he saw a little bit of sweat on her forehead. It was in the summer at the pool. And he looked really confused. And he said, I thought white people don't sweat. It was, serious. It was a serious question. He, he, he thought that white people don't, I'm here to tell you white people sweat. Let's stand and close with um, a word of prayer. I'm gonna, I try not to usually do this, but I'm going to introduce a new scripture. A new scripture to, to help us think about how to change. We get from Ephesians 4.23. Let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. That word renew in the Greek means to make new. To make, let the Holy Spirit Make new your thoughts and attitudes. That means that we need it. Whether we realize it or not, the, to whatever depth that we realize we need it. And throughout the letter of Ephesians, this you is plural. It's written to all y'all in the church. Let the Holy Spirit make new all y'all's thoughts and attitudes. Will you close your eyes for just a moment? I want to invite you this week to make time to let the Holy Spirit search your heart for where is it that you feel superior to someone else. Maybe it's an education thing. Maybe it's not about race. Maybe it's a rich or poor thing. I mean, I know what it's like to feel superior to a rich person because I'm poor. I mean, we can feel superior over all sorts of things. Ask God to reveal it to you and... Ask God for help and then set out to spend time with somebody in the church who is different than you so that we can learn together. Lord, we come to you today asking for your help.
Lord, we indeed want you to fix our world, but today we focus on the inside of us first. Lord, will you please fix us? Will you please make new our thoughts, our attitudes that don't honor you, that don't line up with you, that don't look like Jesus? God, will you make new our thoughts, our attitudes, help us to recognize them, help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to grow together in this church in unity. And from there, may we live our lives as a thank you in such a way where other people will ask us, why are you different? And from there, we will see changes in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our nation. I ask you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you're a student or a teacher, will you raise your hand? We're going to pray for you. The school year for most of us is starting back up right now. All right? Lord, we just pray right now for every student and every teacher that's going back to school on Tuesday. God, we ask that you would bring healing, refreshing, strength, grace, whatever it is that they need today. But Lord, that you would help them to see themselves, Lord, as created in your image, as your kids, Lord, as valued by you, regardless of whatever environment they may walk into. Help them to believe today that you are going to help them with whatever the challenge is that they will face on Tuesday in this school year. Help them to be full of your love, full of your joy. Help them to walk into this school year ready to listen to others, to love others, to represent Jesus to others. Lord, we ask for your grace. I thank you that this is a church primarily invested in Baltimore City Public Schools. We're asking for your change, for your glory, for your love in Baltimore City Schools. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you all so much for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day. This week, and it's child murder, and it's the offender, they, it's 20 years old, and the offender's going to tell the victim that she's still claiming she didn't do it, even though she was convicted and said she did in court. Mm. He has no idea it's coming in. It's going to be rough. Yeah, okay. God, I just come um, before you right now to Erica. Lord, is asking for help. Lord, I pray that you will infuse her with your love, with your energy throughout this week, that you would prepare her heart for the mediation and give her clarity and self-control. You'd help her to know what to say and what not to say. Lord, that you would prepare the hearts of each of the individuals and the families involved. God, that you would do a miracle, grace, and peace. Where there needs to be repentance, there would be repentance. Where there needs to be change, there would be change. Lord, and where the truth needs to come out, let the truth come out. Lord, I'm asking for a miracle over this mediation and then the results in the lives of everybody involved. Would you have your way, God, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, this, I don't normally get this worried because there was a baby burned in a lady burned his sister and his nephew alive. And it's pretty that she did it and she's still going on to it. He's got all this anger and that's what he wants to come and say and she's she's going to be like, I can't talk to you about that because she's going through the Innocence Project right now. And I'm praying that what you said happens, that God just speaks to her and says, no, you know, I'm going to speak the truth today. Okay. Ugh.
Okay. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's good. Look, this morning we've been listening to David Jeremiah. Okay. Right? And that's what he was talking about. We knew your mind. And we was on that subject. He said I was on that subject. Uh, Saturday, Saturday, yeah, yesterday, Saturday. And this morning.